Welcome to Confessing the Faith, a podcast devoted to discussions concerning Christian doctrine and the Christian life. Uh, my name is Joe Anity, and I'm joined today by a special guest. We're very happy to uh, invite back to the program uh, John DeVito. John, it's nice to have you. Thanks. It's uh, my pleasure to be here. Yeah, you'll notice that I'm actually uh, taking over for Mike uh, today. Typically, he's in uh, you know the seat playing the role of the uh, interviewer, and I'm usually the interviewee, if that's if that's the correct terminology. I don't know, but today we've changed things up a bit. Uh, I wanted to bring John back on the program because the last time we had him, uh, we were interviewing him concerning a ministry he was um, pursuing involvement with uh, called African Pastors Conference. Uh, we interviewed him back on January 17th. That's episode nine of Confessing the Faith. And uh, we had a great conversation back then, but it was really all about getting to know you, John, and uh, understanding more about African Pastors Conference and the role that you were hoping to play uh, with that ministry. Um, a lot has happened since then, right? Um, there have been a lot of changes. Yes. Uh, yes. And I, I'm tempted. I, I really am tempted to dive into all of that and to say, hey, John, how are you doing and how's your family doing and how's ministry and what's going on with African Pastors Conference? But that's really not the purpose of this episode. And uh, I'm afraid if I were to do that, we would spend the next hour talking about all those things. Um, <laughs> instead, uh, the purpose of this episode is to dive in a little bit more to um, your testimony and to your um, encounter with and knowledge of uh, the Mormon religion. Mm. Uh, if folks listen to that um, episode uh, number nine back from January the 17th, uh, you'll you'll remember that I mentioned that. I said, we got to have you back on, John, to talk about this Mormonism thing, right? Because I'm curious about that. Um, if people are interested in getting an update on, on John DeVito, on your family situation, on African Pastors Conference, I would direct folks to episode uh, number 17, uh, which is going to be released um, tomorrow, actually, from the time that we're recording this. So on uh, March the 24th. Uh, Mike and I did take some time to give an update on African Pastors Conference. So um, with that out of the way, I, I want to get to the subject at hand, John. Um, yeah, you, you shared your testimony with us in the past, and I was wondering if you would be able to share uh, your testimony with us again so that we can kind of use that as a springboard to this conversation. Yeah, no, that, that's wonderful, brother, and thanks for having me back. Um, you know, I... Uh, to, to go back, I, I guess it's the simplest way to begin is, is with both of my parents. Uh, my, my mother and father uh, were both uh, first-generation converts into Mormonism. Uh, so they uh, were married uh, in the church. Uh, they, they had a temple marriage. And uh, were, so that, that I, by the time I was born, of course, I was raised uh, as a Mormon. So from you know birth, essentially, I was involved with the church, and uh, that meant going to uh, the local branch um, and, and ward and being involved in in uh, you know the various things that go on Sundays there, um, the the other activities, uh, being in Boy Scouts, very common for uh, Latter Day Saints, and uh, so so that was kind of my my general upbringing. Uh, you. When you come to when I turn eight, uh, I was baptized. Now, uh, according to Mormon uh, teaching, uh, they don't believe in original sin. Uh, So it is at the age of eight where you become accountable uh, morally to God. 
And that's why the youngest you can be baptized is eight, because that's uh, at the point where you can you know, be forgiven of your sin through uh, baptism. And uh, so like a lot of children growing up in the church, uh, was baptized. Uh, when I turned 12, received the Aaronic priesthood. And, and again, that gets into some Mormon teaching. Um, but you have two levels of priesthood, the Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthood. So at 12, a young man can become part of the Aaronic priesthood. Uh, and at that point, then you can uh, gain entrance into the temple through a temple recommend. So uh, I I was able to get my temple recommend and go in the temple. Uh, I was baptized for the dead, another one of their practices there in the temple. And um, so all, all of that to say, I, I, I had a typical Mormon upbringing, um, had my patriarchal blessing, uh, just uh, very actively involved in the church. Now, if you continue moving on uh, in the years, you come to the point where uh, in high school, I, like a lot of youth, became rather worldly, uh, interested in uh, getting a job, making some money, um, you know, got interested in girls, and uh, uh, to the point where I did not maintain my religious devotion, uh, started working and, and, and uh, just being involved in various things. Uh, to the point where uh, when I turned 18, I had a big decision to make because when you're raised in the church, generally the expectation is that uh, you go on a two-year mission, which is why you may see you know, two young men walking around with the you know, white shirts and ties and the black badges. Um, and and uh, but by that point, I, I just didn't care about spiritual things very much. I, I didn't deny the faith. I just didn't care very much. And um, so I had the decision to make, do I want to go ahead and go on my mission, which was kind of the expectation, what my family was hoping I would do? Um, or do I go on to college, which is where I assume you go to hopefully get the education you need to get a good job and hopefully meet a girl? Um, and I decided that I'd rather go to college. Uh, so, uh, so at, at, again, I, I, at that point would probably consider, have considered myself really a Mormon agnostic. Um, again, uh, if you would have asked, I would have said I was Mormon, but I really wasn't involved in the life of the church. Didn't care about spiritual things. Uh, and, and so it was in college that, that God really began to move in my life. Because uh, I met a woman uh, who's now my wife, and uh, she was raised uh, as a uh, Southern Baptist. Um, but in college, she really became devoted to her faith. And uh, I, I quickly saw how devoted she was to Christ. Uh, she was going to a campus ministry. She was going to church. And I said, you know, I I haven't cared about the spiritual stuff in a long time. But if she's going to care about this stuff, then she needs to know the fullness of the gospel. <laughs> so I've been raised my whole life. The fullness of the gospel is found in Mormonism. So you want to be religious, you should be Mormon. I still had enough Mormon in me, I guess, that, that that's you know the conclusion I came to. But I knew in order to do that, I was going to have to start uh, studying 
more about Mormonism, studying more of what Christians were saying against Mormonism so that hopefully I could refute, refute these things and, and, and help her see and recognize the, the Mormon church was true. So I really went from being a kind of Mormon agnostic to almost hoping to be a Mormon apologist. Um, but it was during this season of my life that in my own research, I started seeing real problems in Mormonism, um, big problems uh, in the history of Mormonism, especially with the fa- with the founding prophet, the one who began Mormonism, uh, Joseph Smith, uh, as, as well as starting to see some differences between what um, the Mormon church teaches and what the Bible says. I also began going to the campus ministry that my girlfriend was involved with, mainly to spend time with her, but the word was still being taught. Uh, God's word was still coming out. And so really you have my research undermining uh, Mormonism and then this campus ministry helping me uh, to recognize the truths of God's word and him bringing both of those together in my life uh, to where I, I recognize, look, more, there's, there's no hope for me in Mormonism, uh, that, that, that Mormonism really does not provide a genuine hope, but that that hope for me as, as a sinner, as one who uh, has, has uh, failed God, who is sought to live in rebellion against God, that, that my only hope comes through God in my place in the God-man Jesus Christ, that it's through him uh, that, that, that I, the great exchange happens. He uh, takes my sin and my punishment on himself, and he clothes me in his perfect righteousness. So I don't have to earn the love of God because it's been given to me in him. And, and so I, in, in coming to really understand these things, just, uh, you know, came to, to embrace Jesus, to trust in him and to love him. And, and so all of that happened in college. And, and, and from there, you know, uh, I've, I've, it's been a growing journey uh, I, I wish I could say there weren't a lot of rocks and in the way and stumbles and detours uh, through the process, um, but but I'm grateful for all that God has done in my life for showing me that while you know there are many um, kind, loving uh, people in Mormonism, that the uh, hope that they are placing their faith in is not genuine. It, it, it will not ultimately bring them uh, to eternal life and to fellowship with God. Right. This is kind of a side issue, brother, but um, as I listen to your testimony, um, you know, I can't help but think that uh, both you and I have daughters, right? How old is your oldest again? <laughs> she, uh, she turned, she's 15. She'll be, or that's right. She'll, she's 15. Yes. My wife and I started dating when we were in the eighth grade all the way through, <laughs> and now my daughter's in the seventh grade. And so now I'm having to say to her the things that my parents used to say to me, you know, things are different now. You don't necessarily have to go about it the same way that we went about it worked out for us, but it doesn't. Yeah, no, I, you're right. So, you so, know, 
how do you, how do you uh, yeah how do you speak to your daughters about uh, you, you know your past and because as, well, as I understand it your now wife was uh, involved with missionary dating a bit and uh, so were you at the beginning right from the Mormon right. perspective well to, to yeah to be fair to be fair it wasn't um, it wasn't intentional on her part um, okay. yeah but she she made a mistake mm-hmm. uh, she asked me do you believe in God and I'm like yeah sure i'm sure there's some being out there you know and uh she interpreted that to mean i'm a christian so it's a green light to start dating here's the message for our daughters right Uh, doctrine matters doctrine matters you can't just stop with uh, do you believe in god and you can't even stop with do you believe in jesus can you 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 have to ask more uh, pointed questions than that Uh, exactly so so i i still you know i don't know what you're uh, view is my, I don't think my daughter's quite ready for that scene, but, but I, I, I'm hoping to build in her an understanding of uh, in Scripture, you know, what we're to look for in in uh, husbands, and, uh, and and to pursue, you know, uh, dating and, and courtship and those kinds of things uh, in, in light of what God's given. But you know what? Uh, in all seriousness, praise be to God because the Lord did use that. Amen. Oh, he did. And he Amen. is able to. Uh, so we would confess that for sure that God even uses uh, some of our our, our, our mistakes to, to bring about very many good things. And that's true of my testimony as well. Uh, and so in the end, it is all God. Uh, there, there've been so many books written on Mormonism, right? From a Christian perspective, some sure. compare and contrast uh, the mm-hmm. two faith systems. Um, so huge volumes have been written on this subject. Um, how would you go about um, helping people to understand the core differences between Mormonism and Christianity? Yeah, that's a great question, and uh, I'm by no means going to say I'm unique in how I would answer this. Uh, but if, if as I would believe, uh, the the Christian belief system is really a worldview. It's it's a it's a whole world and life view. It's a way to view the world, and that worldview at its core is a story. It's a story that goes, uh, you know, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. And I would go so far as to sense to, to say that since we're created in the image of God, um, that that all humans, all men, women have a worldview. They they, they must explain uh, since they're created in God's image these key aspects of um, of redemptive history of where we came from, why are we here, what's went, what what's gone wrong. You know what the solution is. All those things uh, come up with alternative worldviews or other religions. And so, in my mind, the the best way to um, understand the differences is to really con- compare and contrast the worldviews. What is the Christian worldview, and what is the Mormon worldview? And um, so, in in a similar way that that the, the biblical Christian worldview has a story. I like to go into a Mormon story, um, and and that story I think is best summarized by Lorenzo Snow, who is the fifth president of the LDS Church, and he gave this famous dictum. Uh, it, it's simply, as man now is, God once was; as God now is, man may be. Hmm. Well, there's a lot packed into that, <laughs> as you can imagine. Right. Um, but it what what it shows at its core, I think, is that we in Mormonism, God and humanity are one species. 
the, the, what theologians may call the creator-creature distinction does not exist in Mormonism. And, and so if you want me to kind of flesh out then this worldview, um, I, I like to actually uh, go to a Mormon himself, uh, a Mormon named uh, M. Russell Ballard, who wrote a book a number of years ago uh, where he was trying to explain to non-Mormons what Mormons believe. And um, now I don't claim what he says in this book is considered official Mormon doctrine or anything like that. But I appreciate how he's trying to help non-Mormons understand what Mormons believe. And so um, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll go ahead and read. It's, it's going to be a long thing, um, but, but I hope that what I, want, what I want those listening to hear is what a, a Mormon has to say about what he believes. Okay. Yeah, well, I think yeah, it would be well, great if you great read if that uh, quote. Yeah, and also, I just want to commend you for doing so. I think this is one thing that we need to take away from this interview is that when you're seeking to understand another viewpoint, it's best to go uh, to those who represent that viewpoint, either in an official or unofficial capacity. But let's let's hear it from them, right, I think is the principle here. Exactly, precisely. And so he, he begins in, in this book. It's, it, the book's called Our Search for Happiness. And uh, he, t- he, he talks about what we, what we can call the law of eternal progression. Uh, essentially, how does one become God or become exalted in, in a Mormon worldview? Okay. So he says, now this plan, this law of eternal progression, this plan originated long ago before any of us were born. Before the world was created, we all lived as the spirit children of our heavenly father. Through a natural process of inheritance, we received an embryo, the traits and attributes of our Heavenly Father. We are His spirit children. Some of what our Eternal Father is, we have inherited. What He has become, we may become. And He says, for Scripture enlightenment on this important concept, please see Acts 17.29 and Romans 8.16. Life in our Heavenly home was a little different from life on earth as we weren't subject to the frailties and challenges of mortality. But we were still very much involved with learning and growing, maturing and developing, and we had meaningful association with one another. We had the opportunity in our pre-mortal existence to make decisions and choices, and some of us proved to be better at that than others. He quotes, families on earth are an extension of the family of God. According to the LDS concept of the family, every person is a child of heavenly parents as well as mortal parents. Each individual was the was created spiritually and physically in the image of God and Christ, Moses 2, 27 and 3 to 5. The first presidency has declared all men and women are in the similitude of the universal father and mother and are literally the sons and daughters of deity. And quote, everyone before coming to this earth lived with heavenly father and heavenly mother, and each one was loved and taught by them as a member of their eternal family, unquote. And that came from the Encyclopedia of Mormonism. So he continues, our heavenly parents' love and concern for us continues to this very moment. In our wonderful pre-earth home, we have the opportunity to learn many eternal truths. Our heavenly father wanted us to develop every godly quality, for he knew that although each is unique, we all have within us the seeds of godhood. Indeed, we yearn to be like him, but he understood that we could only progress to a certain point without the wisdom of experience through mortality including the trials and temptations that come to all of us as a direct result of our physical bodies. Therefore, our Father's plan was created to help us reach our full potential. It would be difficult and sometimes painful for him, perhaps, as well as for us, 
but he knew it was the only way his children could go, grow, and improve. So before I go on, just to kind of summarize here, uh, you have a heavenly father and heavenly mother, and they therefore have spirit children, which are all of us, okay? Um, and, and, and so he, as, as just about any father wants his children to be like him, uh, this is the same with our heavenly father. He wants us to become like him. And so he, he wants to, he is formulating this plan to help achieve this goal. Okay. So uh, Ballard continues. So our father called all of his spirit children together to explain his plan. He told us that he had created a world for us where we could gain experience and be tested in a wide variety of ways. Part of that test included complete forgetfulness of our heavenly home. This would be necessary so that we could make real choices between right and wrong without being swayed by our memories of what it was like to live with God. As Paul explained to the Corinthians, we were to quote, walk by faith, not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. But he promised not to leave us entirely alone. The Holy Ghost, he said, would help us make good choices if we listened to its gentle promptings. He would also reveal his will to prophets and inspire the creation of scriptures to guide and direct us. Even with all that, however, Heavenly Father knew we would be fall short of perfection from time to time. So he promised that a Savior would be provided to atone for our bad decisions and choices and to make it possible for all of us to eventually become clean and pure enough to return to live with him. But the choice would always be ours. As much as he wanted us to return to live with him, he could not and would not force his will upon us. The plan had at its very foundation in the principle of moral agency, which could be exercised for good or ill. That meant God was leaving it up to us to determine whether or not we would return to his eternal home through his son, Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, some of our spirit brothers and sisters didn't like God's plan. One of them, Lucifer, was especially displeased and he rebelled against it. He proposed that the plan be altered so that the obedience to God would not be optional, nor would there be any right for us to choose. All mortals would be forced to do good, which meant that none would be lost. But there was a catch to Lucifer's deceitful suggestion. In return for his impossible promise to save all of humanity, he demanded that all of the honor and glory go to him, not the Father. Jesus, God's firstborn and the wisest and greatest of Heavenly Father's spirit children, knew that only the Father could so be honored. He volunteered to assume the most critical role in his Father's plan, with all of the glory going to God. Jesus said he would come to earth to provide the example of a perfect life, and then he would willingly suffer the burden and pains of our sins so that the rest of us could return to our heavenly home if we chose to do so. According to Heavenly Father's plan, it was absolutely critical that each individual be free to choose. In fact, that freedom even extended into our premortal existence. All of Heavenly Father's spirit children had the privilege of choosing between the two plans presented. Unhappily, one-third of the host of heaven chose to follow Lucifer, see D&C 29.36. In so doing, they chose to deny themselves the benefits and blessings of mortality, which means they ultimately expelled themselves from God's presence forever. But the rest of us, all who have been born on this earth, chose to align ourselves with our loving Heavenly Father and His eternal Son, Jesus Christ. We must remember that there has been opposition from the beginning of time, and there are two opposing forces operating in the world today. 
the forces of God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, and those of Satan, who is cast out of the presence of the Father for rebellion. Satan and his hosts are committed to but one thing, the destruction and deception of God's children. They will use any device and any means. They will employ any tactic to destroy faith and righteousness in men and women here on earth. See Revelation 12, 7 and 9 and Moses 4, 1 4. Unfortunately, Satan's attack is working all too well. We see evidence every day of the effects of dishonesty, greed, despotism, cruelty, violence, and unabashed immorality. There is a positive side to this story, however. In the battle fought in the pre-mortal world over the principle of agency, the forces of Jesus Christ were triumphant, and he and our Heavenly Father entered into covenant with us to do all that was necessary to make it possible for us to one day return to live with them if we so choose. We need not be alone here. And so, again, I know that was a long uh, quotation, but I think it presents a, a, a story of, of what's going on here. Before creation, before anyone was in this world, you have – so what we essentially have here is uh, God the Father calling a, a council to come up with a plan uh, and, and uh, to have his uh, spirit children become like him. And you have uh, two of his children, uh, Jesus Christ and Lucifer, who present two plans. Uh, Lucifer says, let's not give them free agency or moral agency. Uh, let's force them to do what they need to do so everybody will uh, become like you. And then uh, Jesus Christ, who said, no, no, they have to have this freedom, this moral agency. Um, God sides with Jesus in this, or he, he follows, he says, this is a good plan. Uh, Lucifer rebels, becomes Satan, uh, takes others with him. This becomes essentially the demonic realm. And we're born in this world because we sided with God the Father and Jesus. So this life for Mormons is really, as, as Ballard said, a test. It's a test and an opportunity for moral improvement so that we can become exalted, become like God himself. Uh, and, and, and so I think that's a, a helpful understanding of the Mormon worldview. And I, I'm sure I don't have to uh, persuade you that this is nothing like the Christian worldview as given to us in Scripture, is it? Well, right. What you're saying here does presuppose that our listeners have some sort of idea of what the Christian worldview is. Right. Um, <laughs> Very much. And I hope that's the case. I would definitely hope that the people of Emmaus who are listening to this have enough of an understanding of the biblical and Christian worldview that they would say, my goodness, these things do not uh, cohere. They do not hold together. Um, and, and if for some reason they, um, they, they, they're confused or, or they don't really understand how, how these worldviews compare, um, of course, there are plenty of good resources to to help one understand um, what scripture teaches about these things. But, right. yeah. Um, but yes, clearly uh, the, the, these, it, it, so often what is said uh, of many uh, cults and false teachings is true uh, that they use the same vocabulary, but have a different dictionary. Right. That you'll notice a lot of similar, if not the same terminology used. Uh, right, Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, 
um, grace, salvation, the cross. And yet all of these words have different meanings for Mormons. Substantially different meanings, right? I mean, it, it, the, the word yeah. is still there, but it's been gutted of its biblical content. It's been replaced with something else. That's what makes this so difficult. That's why if you were to say to a Mormon, do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe in salvation through Jesus Christ? They're going to be saying yes, yes, and yes. Um, yes, a Mormon could say, I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for my sins. By believing in him, I can return uh, to be with Heavenly Father and be saved. I mean, every word of that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so so we have to take care to um, define terms and, and to dig deeper here and to understand, uh, as you have rightly pointed out, the worldview uh, that undergirds all of this terminology. I think it's such a helpful approach that you've suggested here that we back up far enough so that we can see the worldview, so that we can see what we might call the meta narrative, uh, the overarching mm-hmm. story, um, and when we compare the Christian and biblical worldview with the Mormon worldview, they, they prove to be uh, very different indeed. It's almost overwhelming because I, we don't have forever in this podcast, right? But even as you were reading this quote, so many things stick out to me. We could talk more, uh, very much more about the creator-creature distinction that you already mm-hmm. mentioned. Mm-hmm. I think that is at the heart of it. According to yes. Mormon doctrine, uh, we are of the same species. Is that the word that you used? That's a word I've used. Um, I, I don't know if I could find a direct quote, um, but but essentially, you know, there there that's the kind of language that's being used there. There's there's no using that theological philosophical terminology. There's no ontological difference, right? We we are right. the spirit children of heavenly Father and heavenly Mother. Heavenly Father has a body of flesh and bones as we do, um, and, and that that might come out if we talk more about some of the doctrinal teachings that they have. Um, but yeah, we th- this. This distinction is is certainly not true in uh, Mormon in our, teaching. Yeah, we, we have youth over to our house on Thursday nights. We've been going through a systematic theology with our, our middle schoolers, and we've been talking a lot about um, uh, this issue that when we talk about God, we are talking about some a person, someone who is of a different order than we are. He is, mm-hmm. to put it in very uh, crude and simplistic terms, he's made up of different stuff. You know, <laughs> of course, we don't believe that God is physical, but he is a most pure spirit. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's of the stuff of divinity, whereas we are of the stuff of humanity. Uh, and, and therefore, we, we we belong to a different order of being. We are different species, if, if you will. That seems yes. to be so fundamental. Also, there is this strong notion of preexistence within Mormon doctrine too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that we uh, as persons existed um, prior to creation. Uh, um, I, right. I, they, they actually, um, at, at their heart, they deny uh, what, what's creation ex nihilo or creation out of nothing. Yeah, something um, was there. You have eternal matter. So I would imagine um, they draw that yeah, from, so there's a lot there. I'm sorry, brother. Um, I would imagine they draw that from the notion of foreknowledge. Um, that, that you see somewhat, from. somewhat. Uh, they, they do have additional revelation that, that they pull a lot of this from. Right. Um, I would suggest in terms of their own history, you have to understand when the, the this – these views developed uh, kind of what was going on in the uh, really the, the, the science and the beliefs of the day in America as well. Uh, um, there, there's a lot of factors that go into this, but absolutely. Yeah. 
And then it becomes clear, too, that the language of, of God as Father is taken in a very literal way. I mean, when we talk yes. about God as Father, yes, we are, um, you know, implying that he is our source. But, of course, what we are saying is that he is our creator and that we mm-hmm. we come from him in, him in that respect, and but yet we are the creature. Um, also, we view the, the 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 language of Father to be uh, to to be uh, used in kind of a um, as an analogy of sorts, you know, expressing something about our relationship to Him through through Christ the Son. Exactly, so that, that would need to be explored. Uh, the idea of absolute free will is huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Um, um, and the atonement is different. Their view of original sin is very different, as you've pointed out. Yes. Uh, we could go in so many directions with this, couldn't we? <laughs> um, how about this, for the sake of time? Sure. Uh, you, you know, you've, back, you, you've backed us up, I think, and, and you've said, let's look at the worldview. Let's look at the meta narrative. And I think that is a very good place to start. Mm-hmm. If you were to uh, zoom in a little bit, and if you were to examine particular doctrines, mm-hmm. what would the top three, mm-hmm. let's say, doctrinal differences be between biblical Christianity and, and the Mormon faith? It's a good question. Um, part part of my challenge is I would I would this might be an exaggeration, but I don't think it'd be much of one to say that if if there are areas of doctrine uh, that you study, um, if if there if you're not seeing differences, there's probably a problem. <laughs> but but in terms of the top differences, I, I guess I would summarize them in terms of an un- understanding of scripture. Okay. Uh, an understanding of God, as we've already um, mentioned, and, and an understanding of the gospel, uh, which which are all, of course, foundational to our faith and what we believe. Uh, you know, obviously, we as Christians believe that uh, it's the, the scriptures that have been inspired or breathed out by God, uh, that it's the Bible that, that is sufficient for our faith and for our uh, beliefs and our practices. Um, but in Mormonism, scripture is, uh, very different in Mormonism. You have, they do believe the Bible is scripture, but, uh, they believe that over time it's been corrupted, that, uh, there are many plain and precious truths that have uh, been gone missing, uh, that the Bible in and of itself is just not reliable, nor was it meant to be sufficient. Uh, so you also have the uh, Book of Mormon, which uh, it claims to be uh, the scriptures that come from the, some of the lost tribes of Israel that came over to the Americas. Uh, and so it's a story of, of these peoples and uh, of their, well, relationships and wars and ultimately of Jesus coming over here to the Americas and uh, what happens after that. Uh, so you have the Book of Mormon. You also have the Doctrine and Covenants, which are basically a collection of uh, revelations and inspired declarations that were given to establish the church. And you have the Pearl of Great Price, uh, which is another book of um, that, that go into the different aspects of the faith and doctrine of the church. Uh, so you have essentially the Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. So you have four books of Scripture instead of one. But then I think it's also important to know that the LDS Church, the Latter-day Saint Church, the official 
name of the church is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They do not believe that scripture is meant to be complete or sufficient. So they have no uh, idea of a closed canon because they believe that the leader of the church today, the prophet, the president of the church, um, can continue to give new revelation today. That as prophets existed when the Bible was written, uh, to give new revelation from God, so the LDS church has a prophet today who can give contemporary revelation from God. Um, and so scripture is, it continues. It, it can continue. It does continue. And, and so a, 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 an analogy I like to give, it's not a perfect analogy by any means, but kind of a way to compare. When we think of scripture, we think of scripture as a book. Um, you know, think of a book like Pil Pil Pilgrim's Progress. It tells one story. It has a beginning. It has a middle. It has an end. It's complete, right? But in Mormonism, I would say scripture is um, a little more similar to, say, uh, law books. Uh, you know, uh, new laws are passed. Laws are revised. Things change. And, and for Mormons, look, uh, God continues to relate to us. For Mormons, uh, Scripture is much more like uh, locks, that uh, there's uh, new laws are given, laws are updated, changes are made, and, and, and so these things change over time. And so for a Mormon, revelation is continuing to be given or can continue to be given because God continues to relate to us, and times change and needs change, and so there's, there's this ongoing desire and need for revelation from God. And, and, and so uh, Mormons see us as losing out on God relating to us because we, you know, we, the revelation stops for us with the Bible. And there's so much more that God has revealed and wants to reveal to us and will continue to reveal to us through the church and their understanding. So, so, yeah, the, a, the Mormon's view of Christians uh, is that we do not have the fullness of the gospel. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and so all, all what we are doing, we've limited ourselves to the Bible, which, again, has been uh, corrupted and changed over time. And so, really, we've lost. We've lost the gospel uh, through what's called the uh, apostasy. So the church essentially apostatized it. It left the truths that God had revealed through Jesus Christ in the gospel. And those are the truths that were restored by Joseph Smith, the founding prophet of the church, and why there is there was the need for the church to be established. So they, they would say they are the one true church on earth uh, today. So they uh, deny the great reform principle of sola scriptura, I take it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no understanding of um, – or I mean there, there are some Mormon scholars today who seem to want to put more weight on their written scriptures. Mm -hmm. um, but I, just looking at the, their view and understanding of scripture, their history, what their own written scriptures say about the need for additional revelation, uh, it, it's hard for me to, to really see that gaining much traction among Mormons today. Yeah, I say that tongue in cheek, obviously, but I, I've tried to teach our people that you know, if you're wondering why uh, there are different uh, beliefs, even within Christianity itself, 
not to mention other world religions, it always comes down to your view of scripture. It, it mm. just always does. It, it, even with amongst Christians, if we have a different opinion on things, uh, it's true. We might have the same view in terms of the authority of scripture, but we have a, we probably have a different view in terms of the proper interpretation of it. You know, it's a hermeneutical mm. issue. And so this scripture principle is always at the heart of things. Um, you know, we, we take uh, new believers through a systematic theology here at Emmaus and, and mm. chapter one is on revelation, uh, mm-hmm. Not the book of Revelation, but the principle of Revelation. How does God reveal Himself to us? And chapter two is on Scripture. You know, mm-hmm. and very uh, many systematic theologies begin with that, and, and for good reason. Absolutely, absolutely. You also so, mentioned. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, John. Go no, ahead. I was going to say. So, I mean, Scripture is one area of of a huge contrast. Like you say, because of that, we have different understandings of who God is. I mean, in the Doctrine and Covenants, which again they, is is included in their scripture, they have this uh, Doctrine and Covenants one thirty verse twenty two. Um, the Father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's. The Son also, but the Holy Ghost is not a body of flesh and bones, but is a personage of spirit. Were it not so, the Holy Ghost could not dwell in us. And and so again, a, a where we would say, you know, God. Um, God does not have body parts or passions, <laughs> uh, right. as, as the confession would say, and, uh, you know, Westminster in 1689 and others, they would say the opposite. No, God does have body parts and passions. Um, and that's, that's very clear. And, and so you have this understanding where God, the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit are all physical beings with two of them having bodies. Uh, and, and so this, as we've already said, this creator, creature distinction um, disappears. Uh, you have a physical God with a body. Uh, and, and hence the, the, doctrine, the doctrine of the Trinity goes away, doesn't it? So now you have God the Father and Jesus Christ as two separate beings, uh, they're, they're not united as one being. They're they're two personages, and this is why the prophet Joseph Smith is um, he he's the first vision recalls uh, supposedly. Um, there's a lot of doubt about the historical accuracy of this, of course, but Joseph Smith claimed that he was visited by two personages, God the Father and Jesus Christ. Uh, the the entire idea of seeing two personages we would find problematic from a view of God and the Trinity. Um, but, but that goes into the, these beliefs that have formed over time with God. And so you have this, this under this very different understanding of uh, who God is. And then of course, who Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ and Lucifer who becomes Satan are our spirit brothers. We're, we're all children, spirit children of heavenly father. Um, and so when, you know, when some say, well, Mormons are Christian, well, it, it, they have Jesus Christ in the name of their church. It's the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I say, well, that's, that's true. That is the name of their church. But the Apostle Paul warns us in uh, 2 Corinthians 11 of those who preach a different Christ. Right. And so we, we have to know what Christ are you talking about here? And, and, and the Christ that they are believing in and worshiping is not the Christ that, that we recognize who has been revealed in, uh, in the Bible. Yeah, yeah. That's, well that's well said. 
Um, there's a lot here, and uh, obviously it took a while for you to um, research all of this back uh, as the Lord was drawing you to himself. Is there any? Is there anything you could put your finger on to where you, you said you would say, this made it click for me? Um, mm. it, it may be the answer to that is no. It might have just been a collection <laughs> of all of these issues as you um, yeah. you know, were, were searching. But um, was there anything that you could put your finger on? Well, um, yeah, there were two things. I I mentioned them briefly in my testimony earlier. Uh, One was was my historical research. Again, all of this really is pinned on the truthfulness of the claims that the founding prophet Joseph Smith made. I mean, it's Joseph Smith who uh, supposedly had this uh, vision of uh, Heavenly Father and Jesus uh, it was Joseph Smith who supposedly found the Book of Mormon, which was written on golden plates, who translated them as scripture. It was Joseph Smith who God supposedly founded the church through. He became the first prophet and president. Um, so this, this really all hinges on Joseph Smith. And uh, the the so as I start studying the life of Joseph Smith, as I start studying the history, I start seeing real problems historically uh, with with his life, and um, and so that that really caused me to wonder why, because because in my mind it's kind of like the string of dominoes, right? I mean, all of this is really built on the life and ministry of Joseph Smith, and. Um, so, so that was huge for me. Now, I admit, from a more um, a perspective of evangelizing Mormons, I generally am not a big fan of spending a lot of time in the history of Mormonism, uh, simply because you you really have to become an expert in uh, that period of time in American history <laughs> to to really engage a Mormon well. Um, but there are key things that can be understood about the life of. Joseph Smith that are problematic. And of course, back when I was studying these things, you know, the internet was really just in its first, you know, I mean, we're talking here in the mid 1990s. So the internet was just developing. A lot of this information is far more freely available than it was for me back in those days. Um, But there's a lot out there about uh, Joseph Smith that can be studied and understood today. The second thing for me was, again, uh, seeing more and more of the differences between what Scripture teaches from what the Bible says and uh, what Mormonism teaches. Uh, so, for example, in the, the Book of Mormons, 2 Nephi twenty-five twenty-three says, For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. Now, this obviously is similar to what we read in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And really here I think you find the core of the two different gospels here. You have the the, the true biblical gospel, which we find from the Apostle Paul. uh, But then you have this, the Mormon gospel, which talks about grace and about Jesus' atonement, uh, but it it only becomes sufficient after all we can do that we that our efforts our works are required uh, in order for us to have eternal 
life or this, which in Mormonism, again, this eternal life is that exaltation. It's that becoming gods. And uh, so we have this, um, this view, this understanding of the gospel. What, what I think we see here, both through the history and uh, through the differences in the teaching between uh, what Mormonism says and uh, what Scripture says, that really caused me to reassess, um, to reassess what was real. Because the truth is, even within Mormon, if, if even within Mormonism, if I'm simply to take the Mormon worldview as it is and assume, for sake of argument, it's true, there's no hope for me. Uh, this eternal life that they refer to, I can't earn, <laughs> even with Jesus's help. Um, and, and, and again, this goes back to their understanding of uh, who we are as humans. But when I, when I begin to grapple with my own sinfulness, uh, with, with, with those issues, uh, th- this hope isn't real. Right. Uh, and, and, and so, and so I, it was grappling with those things. And again, being paired with the truths and the real hope that God provides in the Bible and Scripture, that that uh, really were the the linchpins to to cause me to realize my need for for Jesus. So Mormons, they the Mormons do view the Bible as Bible the Word of God, correct? Yes, yes, I would say they view it as a Word of God, maybe. A word of God. Uh, but but yes, they do believe. So some people will call the Book of Mormon the Golden Bible. And uh, I know it's – I think I know what they mean by that, but they do believe the Bible is the Bible. Uh, but what, what they say uh, there um, is they, they have uh, what they call the Articles of Faith, and they say, We believe the Bible to be the Word of God as far as it is translated correctly. We also believe the Book of Mormon to be the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what they say then is – that it hasn't been translated correctly. And what they mean by that actually is that it hasn't been transmitted uh, properly, that, um, that there's many imperfections and uncertainties in the translation. And so really you can kind of think about that we, we shouldn't understand the Bible on its own, that that won't lead us to the truth. So we need these other scriptures and we need the revelation of the church to properly understand uh, what God has revealed in the Bible. See, that's a helpful piece of information right there because it, it you know, um, that, that helps Christians to understand why when they stand before a Mormon and quote scripture, it doesn't seem to have quite the impact that you would expect, right? Uh, Absolutely. And, and, and as somebody who's done that on a number of occasions, um, I, I can't claim to have the silver bullet by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but sometimes what I'll try to do is – I know in the back of their mind, if I'm saying something in from Scripture that contradicts what they believe, they're going to go to one of two places. Number one, I'm misinterpreting what that Scripture says, right? Or number two, um, that part of Scripture has been corrupted. Right. Okay. And so um, what I try to do to kind of fend off number two, that Scripture has been corrupted, is, is try to push them on it a little. If, just go, well, look, can you show me that where this scripture has been corrupted? Yeah, demonstrate. What, what evidence do you have mm-hmm. that would tell me that, that, that this 
uh, that this has been um, that this isn't truly what God has revealed in in Scripture, uh, because of course, um, you know, minor textual critical issues aside, uh, they have no evidence. Uh, but but then second, I'll say, look, I'm open. If if I've misinterpreted this, please help me. Uh, but my question is not what does uh, this scholar say or what does this church say or what does your church say? It's what, it's what did the Apostle Paul mean here, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So, so sometimes uh, I, I find it helpful to lovingly um, s- seek to get back to get, stop trying to get them out of those, those glasses that they have of interpreting the Bible through the lens of their scriptures and their church teaching and to pull back and say, okay, what did the Apostle Paul mean? What did the Apostle John mean? What did the Apostle Peter mean here? Um, and, and, and let's wrestle with that together. And, and, and that's, you know, if, if I make headway, that's how I try to do it at least. So what, what you're saying here, I mean, this entire episode has been so helpful. I think one of the things that it reveals is that this is complex. Mm. The, the differences between Mormonism and Christianity are complex differences. You cannot simply compare one doctrine to the other. You know, uh, let's look at your doctrine of Christ and let's look at ours and your doctrine of God. Uh, let's look at ours. You're probably not going to make a whole lot of headway there because of the fact that we have different worldviews from the beginning. We, mm-hmm. we have different answers to the foundational questions. Uh, you know, who is God? Uh, why has he placed us here? What is the meta narrative, the overarching story? What is our authority for truth? Those are the things that have to be discussed, but those are those are big issues, not easily uh, worked through. And you used a couple of words uh, in, in that last um, paragraph that you that you uttered. One, lovingly, you know, so mm-hmm. that indicates to me that probably the best approach in reaching out to Mormons is to enter into a relationship with them whenever possible and to let love prevail um, so that there can be a real conversation. You used also the word uh, wrestle. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we need to labor to wrestle through these things um, with our Mormon friends and neighbors whenever they are willing to do that with us. And uh, that's a whole nother story as to whether or not they'd be willing to do that. Um, but, you know, I, it's, I know a lot of Mormons, um, my wife works with some. Mm. I, I grew up with many. I, we, there's a lot of Mormons in this valley. They're good people, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm glad to have Mormons as as neighbors because they're good neighbors. And I would even, you know, venture to to guess that we probably share a lot of uh, the same political views. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot that we agree on, um, but these differences are are substantial. So I think we do need to labor to build relationships whenever possible so that we can truly wrestle through these things with um, our, our Mormon friends and neighbors. Would you agree, John? Is that the, is that the approach? Absolutely. I, it's, it's, it's really important, I think, to realize, uh, you know, if, if, you dis, if, if God called you to become a missionary to the Middle East or, or maybe just to, be a, to work in the Middle East, and as a Christian, you're over there, and um, you realize most of the people you're going to be encountering are Muslims. Uh, that's a totally different worldview, uh, with a with a different understanding of who Christ is, and and uh, you know what what it uh, takes to you know please Allah and 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 all of those kinds of things. 
and um, and they're complex. And uh, now, and so I think you know what what you say is is critical, and that is you you love them as your neighbor, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, you 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 love them, and in loving them, you share with them the hope of Christ. Now, this may this means you need to understand how our worldviews compare. Uh, you know, I, I probably it would be good for me to understand a little bit of Islam if I'm in the Middle East to be able to talk to my Mormon neighbor and 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 love them and and show them their their need for Christ and their hope for in Christ. Right to talk to uh, a Muslim neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you. And so, and so it's, it's a similar thing. Um, it, it, it is a different worldview. And so we really need, in my judgment and assessment, we need to understand Mormonism um, like we would understand other religions like um, Islam or Buddhism or, um, you know, Hinduism or any other religion. Um, it, it has, because it has its background, it kind of came out of uh, Christianity. Um, you have uh, a lot of this um, to to navigate through, and, and some more commonalities and challenges. Mm-hmm. But it, but in a similar way, um, I, I think it means that you love them, you pray for them, you meet them at their level. You know, look, not all Mormons are, uh, you know know the Mormon worldview well or study their scriptures every day or, you know, <laughs> so, so you, you want to begin where they're at. Um, you, you want to be prepared in those ways. And, um, you know, and, and I, and I do think another way that's, that's really critical in reaching out to them is understanding God is sovereign in salvation. Amen. Yeah. So a Mormon is not more dead in sin than anybody else. And a Mormon, and, and, and so what is going to change their heart? It's not my persuasiveness. Uh, are they going, are, are, no matter what I tell that Mormon or, or, or that Muslim or anything, right? They're not going to come to Christ apart from the sovereign working of God. But God does sovereignly work in their lives. Uh, so I don't think we need to fear. Look, we, we realize that, that, uh, we we don't know a lot of Mormons who have say come out of Mormonism. Well, they're, they're spiritually they're in the same condition that anyone else is, and that we were apart from Christ, uh, and that it's the same work uh, of God in all of us that brings us to faith. So we can take courage in that, pray to God for that, um, trust in that, and be faithful. And then then also to realize though, in God's sovereign work in hearts. Uh, that he uses us as those who can come to them and bring them uh, uh, the gospel, mm-hmm. right? It, it's the gospel that saves. It's the message of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross in our place that saves. And so I, if, if you wanted me to go, okay, what's the core difference between the biblical gospel and the Mormon gospel, to use a little bit of systematic theology terminology, I would say it's the imputation of Christ's righteousness. In our faith, uh, we believe that, yes, Christ died for us as our substitute. Uh, you know, I, we have children in school. Uh, if, 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 uh, if your children go to, say, a private school or public school, 
Uh, a teacher gets sick, can't come in. They have a substitute, somebody who stands in their place and does what they do because they can't, right? Mm-hmm. And and so here we have us dead in our trespasses and sins, deserving the punishment and wrath of God for a rebellion against our creator. And yet Jesus in love taking our place. And that means not only taking the full punishment and wrath of God that we deserve on himself through his death on the cross, but also that glorious truth that that perfect life of righteousness that he lives is given to us. And it's that hope, that righteousness of Christ that we have by uniting to him by faith that in my mind is, is, is the difference between our gospels. And so I really try to emphasize with Mormons, um, look, uh, you understand that, that God is holy and righteous and just. Um, so, you know, where, where can our, our hope come from if we're not? You know, our, how are you? Uh, you know, and, and uh, Mormons often will refer to Matthew 548, where Jesus commanded, be ye therefore perfect, even as your heavenly father is perfect. Right. Um, and say that that's a keepable command. OK, um, that, that, that we can do that. And my sim- and, and you know, my simple question is, well, how are you doing with that? Yeah. I mean, this is a present tense yeah. command. Are you perfect? And of course, rarely have I met somebody who's willing to say, yes, they're perfect. Um, but if they turn it around on me, well, are you saying you're perfect? Yes, I am. I am perfect. In Christ. Because I have his perfection, right? And it, it, it's that hope that I think is glorious. It's, 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 it's the hope that, that saved me. It's the hope that saves Christians. And, I, and, and it's the hope that I'm convinced uh, with the blessing of God will save Mormons. Right. Yeah, you have Christ's righteousness imputed to you. Uh, yes, he, he died as your substitute. Uh, he has um, accomplished uh, and attained to holiness, just as the Father is holy, and that's the good news. Uh, that verse that you mentioned from Matthew applied directly to us is not good news. It's actually bad news. It is a standard of sorts. <laughs> we're to pursue it, uh, but really, it 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 manages to condemn us in the end because it it reveals the fact that we have not attained. Um, to that standard that God has set before yes. us. So, well, that's wonderful. John. So in Christ, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. In, in no, I was just going to say, in Christ, I am perfect because I have a, a the righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus. And of course, that's what we see in Second Corinthians five twenty one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, that He made Him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in Him we can become the righteousness of God. Right. And 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 that's the that's the that's the gospel message of hope that that. You know, I, I, I hope and pray that those who are hearing this uh, will, will, will remember as we love our Mormon neighbor, that we'll bring them that hope that they don't have in, in, in God, uh, in Christ. Well, John, I really appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation, um, this conversation with us. I, I think it might be good to close by um, – maybe recommending some resources. Uh, I have two things in mind. There are some listening to this who might want to study 
uh, Mormonism further. Mm. Uh, and so I wonder if you could provide some resources for folks who are thinking in that direction. I'm also mm-hmm. thinking of another uh, type of person who, upon listening to this, might be thinking, my goodness, I'm not even sure what I believe about my Christian faith. And and I'd like to present uh, those who are in that category with some resources too. But what about some helpful resources for studying Mormonism further? Do you have anything in mind? Sure. Well, I, I think, you know, like you say, there are lots of books out there. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about Mormonism and how it compares with Christianity. Uh, I mean, two that that I've always appreciated. Uh, you had James White, who uh, wrote a number of years ago, "Is the Mormon My Brother," uh, which is a good um, overview of looking at the differences between Mormon and Christianity. Uh, you also have uh, Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson called Mormonism 101, that kind of does a compare and contrast. And that's very helpful. I mean, there, there's a lot of good resources out there. Uh, two others I actually would also encourage. Uh, the first is is not as easy to find. It is available on Amazon, but it's written by a Lutheran pastor uh, named Mark Cares called Speaking the Truth in Love to Mormons. Um, and it, it's a very helpful. So this would be more of those who want to reach out to Mormons and, and witness to them. I, I think it's very helpful in uh, over in kind of explaining those things and, and showing how to engage them. Now, again, he's a Lutheran, so we're not necessarily going to agree in every aspect, but as a whole, I think he's very, very helpful in, in, in assessing how to reach out to Mormons in love. And then the other one, which I, I you know, for those who, who want to be encouraged by a, a story of somebody who's come out of Mormonism, a, a book that came out a few years ago is by Lynn Wilder. Uh, she was actually a professor at Brigham Young University, um, and she wrote about her testimony of coming out of Mormonism in a book that Zondervan released called Unveiling Grace, the story of how we found our way out of the Mormon church. Um, and if you want to have a wonderful testimony of how God's word, the scriptures, um, have power in leading somebody out of Mormonism, that is a wonderfully encouraging uh, read. And, and I have enjoyed it. My, my wife enjoyed reading it. So that, that was very helpful as well. Uh, now, as, as far as, you know, the, the question of uh, worldview and um, there, there's lots of different resources there as well. Um, the first one I'm thinking of is actually a, a brief book. Uh, that was put out by uh, PNR, you know, one of those booklets. And, and I'm, I'm trying to remember the exact name. I think it's something like, what is the Christian worldview by Philip Graham Riken, Right. Yeah. Uh, which, which he gives. And, and again, that's something that can be read in, you know, probably an afternoon. It's 60 pages. It's just a basics of the faith series. So that, that would be a, um, a, a basic overview that I think would be helpful uh, there are there are you know longer works on the topic of worldview uh, that, that could be studied. Um, a lot of and and really now when we talk about the the Christian worldview as a story, um, there or the meta narrative as you have said, uh, there uh, some overviews of biblical theology can be helpful as well. Uh, so there is a book uh, that came out that that I feel it's, that's dealing with that question. Um, and it's, I believe it's called Big Picture, uh, Tracing the Storyline of the Bible by Vaughn Roberts, uh, that, that's a helpful resource. Uh, 
Uh, it's a little bit longer, uh, and 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 uh, I I found that to be a very helpful read of just understanding that big picture, that story of scripture. Um, and then, of course, if you want to get into more in-depth studies, uh, again, very systematic theology type reading is helpful. Um, you, you can point to the one that your church uses. Obviously, you can get more in-depth and you have multi-volume systematic theologies. Um, he, he, you know, he, here's the truth. Uh, we recognize that the gospel is good news. It's a message to be believed. So our faith is established and rooted in doctrine. In, in revealed truths. And so this is a never-ending quest that we have to grow in our knowledge of what God has revealed. And um, so, you know, we can always go further and further and further in, in these truths that God has revealed in studying theology uh, in, in various ways. But I, I, think, I think those would be helpful resources for people to uh, begin in the, in, if they want to, you know, continue studying in these areas. Sure. I think, you know, if you're a Christian and you're thinking to yourself, um, my goodness, I don't even know what I believe. Um, the first thing to do is to get a, to, to join a church where the word of God is taught Amen. Uh, consistently, mm-hmm. um, uh, where, where it's really taught, where the scriptures are really honored as being inspired by God without error, authoritative. Uh, get in a church where the word of God is being taught. Um, you could also go uh, back into the archive of our podcast here, uh, all the way back to episode number two. Uh, we uh, produced a podcast with the title, What is the Gospel and Who is Called to Preach It? And if I remember right, what we did is we kind of just moved through that meta narrative uh, in order to present the basics of of the Christian gospel. Uh, so that might be helpful uh, to you. Um, also, I would encourage people to go to the London Baptist Confession of Faith um, and to to read through that. It was written back in 1689, and so the language is sometimes a little bit difficult for people, but it's there that you'll find a very concise, um, carefully crafted, and clear um, summary of core Christian doctrines as they have been held throughout the history of the church. You know, yes. So if you really want a summary of the Christian faith, um, kind of in a systematic form, I guess, uh, that would mm-hmm. be a good place to go as well. So, Absolutely. Again, John, thanks so much for taking the time. This is a uh, very helpful. Um, and who knows? Maybe we'll be able to have another follow-up episode on this or on another topic. Uh, the more I get to know you, the more I um, grow to love you as a brother in the Lord, and see that we have a lot in common, uh, a lot of shared beliefs, and um, and so that's exciting. Amen. In fact, I think I'll see you not too long from now at the Arbka uh, General Assembly, won't I? Yeah, Lord willing, I I look forward to seeing you again, brother. Yeah, I look forward to that. Well, thank you so much, John. And uh, for everyone who is uh, listening, uh, we hope that you check back with us soon and continue to listen to uh, future episodes. Um, Until then, walk by the Spirit. God bless. Mm -hmm.